Good morning. How's your uh, good afternoon? How's your Saturday going? Okay. I love the honesty, Alvita. That's great. How about everyone else? A little bit uh, more cool. Something we're looking forward to lately. And um, I have good news. I usually don't start a sermon like this because it's never happened before. I have a new niece as of like two hours ago. A new niece. Yeah. Her name is Ellie, and uh, she's the little sister of another brother, Levi. So very happy about that. Thank you for your applause. I appreciate that. I'll let my brother uh, and uh, sister-in-law know. So I hope you're all doing well. If you're here to, to take a break, to sit down, to rest, you're invited to do this. This is the house of God. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heaven laden, and I will give you rest. This is a place to rest. This is also a place to receive. A place to receive. So we're going to receive from the Word of God today. And we have a lot to receive. So you may remember, and this is recorded in Matthew, this is recorded in Luke and maybe Mark. Jesus was baptized when he came up from the water. A voice came from heaven and said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. There was a public declaration by God, this is my son whom I love. He was baptized by John the Baptist, who was also a big figure in those days. And even John said, the, I am not worthy to tie Jesus' shoes. So right after Jesus is baptized, it looks like, okay, he's declared to be the son of God in power. Now, for those in those days who were under Roman oppression, this was, the Roman Empire was a brutal empire, they were under Roman oppression, they were under ungodly religious leaders, so a lot of the people of Israel who are under this, they're, they're seeing Jesus being baptized and they're saying, okay, now's the time to set up your kingdom, okay, let's make it happen, okay, let's throw off those oppressors finally, but what happens? The Spirit of God drives Jesus into the wilderness to be alone for 40 days. It kind of doesn't make sense. Why would Jesus need to be alone in the wilderness? Why doesn't he get to work? Why in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when he heals people, he says, don't tell anyone. Just don't tell anyone yet. It's kind of peculiar. That's not the kind of behavior you expect from a king. That's not the kind of behavior you expect from a son of God. And God brings us into the wilderness sometimes. You might be in the wilderness right now. And if you are, you feel it. You're in the wilderness. You don't exactly know how God is going to get you to where you're going. You thought God gave you a vision. You thought God gave you a goal. And it just, you, you don't see how it's going to happen. You feel like Abraham and Sarah. God promised Abraham he would have a son through him, through this line. All your descendants will be blessed. And Abraham was waiting for years. He's waiting into his 90s. And so is his wife. And he's saying, um, he must be thinking, God, I don't, I don't think this is going to happen. As a matter of fact, um, Abraham uh, tries to have a, a, a son through his concubine. And that doesn't work out too well. But that's not the story we're talking about today. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days. And if you're familiar with the Hebrew Scriptures, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, 40 days has significance to the Jewish reader. 40 days. 
And there are two big stories that come up. First is that Moses, who grew up under Pharaoh's daughter, he grew up under Pharaoh's daughter, he wanted to release his fellow Hebrews from slavery. So when Moses was 40 years old, he saw an Egyptian slave master beating a Hebrew slave. And afterwards, when Moses thought no one was looking, he killed the man. He used his power that he believed God has given him. He used his power to try to save the Hebrew people. But it turns out someone found out and he had to run away. He ran away for 40 years. He ran away from Egypt. He tried to use power in the way he thought was best. He thought he was doing the will of God, trying to release the Hebrew people from slavery. But it didn't work out this way. So when he was in the wilderness, what happened? He became a nobody. He became a shepherd. He was in the wilderness and he thought his purpose was lost. Until one day God called him to bring God's people out of Egypt in a new way. And then Moses finally realized that that shepherding all those 40 years prepared him to be the kind of man who could shepherd the people of God. Here's a fun fact about sheep that I just found out. Sheep have great vision. They have great peripheral vision on their side. Sheep even have great vision behind them. They don't even need to turn their heads to look behind them. But sheep have terrible vision right in front of them. They have terrible death perception. And when you think of how often in the Bible that we are called sheep, it's somewhat humbling. But we could see spiritually what's being communicated. Sometimes we have such a great 2020 rear view. Sometimes we have such a great to the side of what other people are doing, but we can't see right in front of us. We're in the wilderness. We're in the wilderness. We need a shepherd to lead us. Amazing how Jesus calls us sheep, and that's not an insult, but he says, I'm the shepherd. Listen to me. I'm the shepherd who takes care of the sheep. Now, when they, got, when they got to the promised land, Moses led them to the promised land, but not quite. Because when Moses led them to the new land called Canaan, they saw the height of the people, they saw their stature, they saw their strength, and they fled. They escaped slavery in Egypt. They saw God deliver them with many miracles. They came to the new land of Canaan, and they fled. They were just about to make it, and they fled. And God said, okay, this is time for you to be in the wilderness. You're obviously not ready yet. Forty years, 40 more years in the wilderness. You're not ready yet. You need some time in the wilderness. This must be a time of shame. This must be a time of confusion. This must be a time of reassessing where our hearts really are at because even though the Hebrews were no longer slaves in Egypt. They still had that slavery mindset. They couldn't believe in the victory God wanted to give them. Sometimes that's why we're in the wilderness. God needs to train us before we can be uh, in the public eye again. So God has given you a vision. I believe that God has uh, called you each to a vision, and I actually believe you know what that is. And sometimes we, we stuff it down because of fear. The worries, cares, and riches of the world choke the life that God has given us. 
We don't listen to it because of fear. Sometimes we do grab hold of it, but it, we, we don't see the way. We don't see God bringing it to fruition. We're, we're wondering, God, why are you taking so long? You're in the wilderness. Recognize that you're in the wilderness. It's okay to be in the wilderness. Jesus was in the wilderness. Here's a second Old Testament story, Elijah. You might remember the story about Elijah. So Elijah, it was a really harsh time for Israel. King Ahab ruled with Jezebel. They were an evil couple. Right then, the people were worshiping Baal, the god Baal. They sacrificed their children in the fire to Baal. They believed that this fertility god would give them rain if they killed their children and they would cut themselves and do frantic dancing. And this, this, of course, is evil. We could see it more clearly today, being so separated from it. So Elijah prayed that it would not rain for three and a half years. It did not rain for three and a half years. Now you think three and a half years without rain, you might stop worshiping a fertility god. Not so. There were 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah decided to have a showdown. Let's build two altars on this hill, Mount Carmel. You, the 450 prophets of Baal, you call on your God to bring fire on that altar. So they called all day, frantically, nothing. And then afterwards, Elijah said, why don't you pour 12 large containers of water on top of this altar? And they did. Elijah prayed, immediately the fire of God comes down and lights the altar. All the people watching, they saw that they had been hoodwinked by the prophets of Baal, and they grabbed them and they slaughtered them. Wow. This sounds, sounds like a victory. Elijah prayed, and then it rained again. It sounds like a victory. And then Jezebel, remember she was ruling, said, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you're not like one of those prophets by the end of the day. Elijah went into a deep depression, and he ran away. Seemed like it would have been a victory, right? But no, Elijah went away. He he left. He needed time in the wilderness. He, he ran away for 40 days and he went to the mountain of God, the same mountain where Moses got the Ten Commandments to spend time with God. He needed those 40 days in the wilderness to understand what God's will is. I thought this victory would be it. I thought this victory would be it, but it's not. That's what happened with the, the children of Israel. That's what happened with Elijah. I thought this would be a victory, but not so what does this mean when Jesus is in the wilderness? How is the devil attacking Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man? When God brings you into the wilderness, and as I'm talking, you might recognize you're in the wilderness right now, it's good to recognize you're there and, and press into it more. Our initial reaction is to say, God, get me out of this, instead of God, let me experience your presence in this. But Jesus recognized it. Why? Because it says the Spirit drove Jesus in the wilderness, and then Jesus fasted for 40 days. He knew this was time to meditate on God. Now, I'm not sure if you fast from food, maybe voluntarily, maybe involuntarily, but when you choose to fast, that means you voluntarily choose to withhold um, to withhold your physical needs so that you can focus on a deeper need, the need of God. So Jesus separated himself internally. He distanced himself internally from a need. And, he, and being in the wilderness, he also separated himself externally from needs 
so that he could get closer to God, to hear the voice of God. So will we recognize these seasons of our life, which is okay, it's totally normal to be in, will we recognize them and respond to God accordingly? Maybe you're in the wilderness now, you don't know how you got here, you might not know how to get out of where you are, but that's okay. What you can learn, uh, at least you can learn what to do while you're here, in it. So there's a song, man, I haven't heard this for years, but it came to mind last night when I was preparing. It's by the OC Supertones, and I just want you to know how long ago this is. They're a ska band, remember ska? It's not a thing anymore. Huge in the 90s, uh, but this is by the band OC Supertones. They wrote a song called The Wilderness. Has anyone ever heard of this song? This is exactly what I expected, no one. Okay, I'm just going to read the chorus here. He says, have you ever lived in doubt what this life is all about? Have you questioned all these things that seem important to us? Do you really want to know or are you a little scared? You're afraid that God is not really exactly what you'd have him be. What should I hold to and what should I do? How do I know if anything's true? I'm somewhere in between Canaan and Egypt, a place called the wilderness. Sounds even better with music. The devil attacked Jesus. How? By attempting him to be like a king, like the rest of the world. How does a Messiah lead? What does the Messiah's king look like? How is this going to be different from the kingdoms of the world? At the end of the 40 days of temptation, the devil culminates this temptation with three pernicious challenges to who Jesus was. Now remember, Jesus just called, got called God's son by God himself, And the devil grabs this term and tries to use it against Jesus. Now, those of you who are familiar with the Gospels know that Jesus' favorite phrase that he used for himself was what? The son of man. The son of man. Jesus usually talked about himself in the third person, right? The son of man. In modern translations, that's that's better understood as the human one. Jesus liked communicating that he was the human one. How amazing that God in human flesh, instead of calling himself the divine one, liked calling himself the human one. He wanted us to know how much he relates to us, not how much he's above us. So the devil took this term, the son of God, and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. You're a king. You deserve to eat. You deserve to dine. You deserve to have everyone serve you. What are you doing? Just eat. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. And of course, what Jesus was getting at is there is something more important than food I'm getting at right now. Me fasting is so that I will be prepared to serve others. Me giving up this fast before before I want it to be done means I am cutting this short to live for myself. First of all, what self-control. Second of all, This shows us what kind of son of God Jesus wants to be. Now, let me put us back in uh, the first century context. When someone hears the son of God, they don't immediately think, oh, yeah, Jesus. When someone hears the son of God, they think Caesar. They think the emperor. Because son of God was a term used all the time for emperors. What What son of God meant is that this person is the representative of God on earth. 
This person is the divine representative of God. So when people would think of the Son of God, the divine representative of God, they would usually think of someone who used whatever power he could for himself. Military might, for himself. Gaining wealth for himself. As a matter of fact, fun statistic, maybe not fun, but definitely an amazing statistic, uh, Octavius Augustus was the richest man who ever lived. He was the emperor. Trillions of dollars were his. Are you going to be that kind of son of God? Jesus wouldn't even turn stones into bread. He wouldn't even use the power that way, even though he could have. He chose not to. Next, the devil took Jesus and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in the moment of time, all their authority and their glory I will give to you if you will worship me. Now, let's be honest. I don't think most of us are interested in worshiping the devil, but I think a lot of us are interested in attaining power. I think all of us are interested in attaining power. We would really like power. We would really like to know we're not going to financially struggle for the rest of our lives. We would really like to know we could have all our medical expenses paid for and not worry about that. We were like, you know, it would be nice to have, as the devil says here, the glory of the kingdoms of the world. It would be great to have an aquarium of tropical fish by the Great Barrier Reef, silk clothing from China, pineapple from Hawaii, chocolate from, uh, from Switzerland. The glory of the kingdoms of the world, it can be yours. That sounds attractive to us, especially living in the United States, it's relatively easy to get living in this international community. Jesus didn't go for that. Jesus chose to not be the sort of king who rules by getting. He chose to be the sort of king who rules by giving, giving himself. He responded, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. The greatest among you will be your servant. He wants to worship merely because God deserves it. Also, the devil put Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple. Throw yourself down. The scripture says God's angels will catch you. How about that? What's this temptation to? Does, does the devil want Jesus to kill himself? I don't think so. Because Jesus can call a legion of angels to save him. I think the devil was tempting Jesus to spectacle here. Tempting Jesus to be a celebrity. Show yourself. Show that you laugh in the face of death. Show that death can't touch you. Surely you'll be the king of Israel. Surely this is the kind of Messiah people want. People want to know that they have a Messiah that can't die. People want to know that they have a Messiah that can just throw off their oppressors. But Jesus said no. He didn't come to make light of death. Jesus came to enter death. If Jesus didn't touch death, what kind of God would he be? Just like all the other gods above that, above humanity, not touching it. Jesus chose to enter pain, not avoid it. Entering this world means entering pain. Entering this world means becoming present with you in your pain in your darkest moments.
but we, we test God in this way sometimes. We act recklessly, thinking that God will clean up our own behavior. We act recklessly in our relationships with people and unwise financial decisions and how we use our words and by what we consume with our eyes. We act recklessly. We laugh in the face of death. We laugh in the face of sin. And we get overcome by it. Jesus chose to enter death to overcome sin. So he responded, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. And I just want to point out here that these three quotes of scripture that Jesus uses are from Deuteronomy 4, 6, and 8. So if you're a person here and you feel like you don't know much of the scripture, this is just a small five-chapter section of scripture that Jesus quoted. God reveals himself through the pages of Scripture. Don't feel like you need to know everything. I mean, that's great that you keep learning knowledge, but there's probably something that you just read in the last few days that you're reading faithfully that can apply to your situation where you're at right now. The devil tempted Jesus. He said, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, the insinuation is... If you are really God on earth, if you're really God's representative on earth, you deserve to take. You deserve these things for yourself. But now we're going to go into how Jesus refusing to exploit his power worked for us. How we could follow Jesus there. He could have come down from the cross. Oh, by the way, it said that the devil left Jesus until an opportune time. When was that opportune time? Later on, we know at least Jesus was on the cross. And Luke tells us later that there are two different criminals crucified on either side of him. And one of the criminals said to him, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. It's the final, if you are the son of God moment. If you are the Son of God, show your power. Surely when you are in pain, surely when you're nailed to a dead piece of wood, dying, if there's any time to show your power, this is it. And why aren't you doing it? The other criminal who had heaped abuse on him said, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And every moment we have that choice. Every moment, especially when we're in the wilderness and we don't know what's going on, we have that choice. We say, God, use your power to get me out of this. Or we say, Lord, just let me have your presence. Just let me be with you. If Jesus avoided pain, if Jesus used his power, he would have avoided entering our pain. He would have avoided giving his presence to us. Jesus can be present with us because he entered pain. Jesus can be present with us because he entered pain and followed it to the death. The cross is the ultimate place where we say, surely if God exists, God would not allow this. And yet that's exactly where Jesus was. Exactly where God can't possibly be. God can't possibly allow this to happen. That's exactly where we find Jesus. 
We have the choice every moment to exploit the power of God for us or to experience the presence of God. The choice is ours in every moment. And now let us pray. What a mighty God we serve. Lord, the scripture says that you hold all the oceans in the palm of your hand. And that the most terrifying thunderstorm displays but the fringes of your power. You are mighty to save. You see our financial needs. You see our physical needs. You see our needs for strong and healthy relationships with each other in this room. Let us experience your presence, Lord. Let your love transform us into the men and women we were always meant to be. Thank you for choosing the way of love instead of brute force so that we may truly be your people becoming like Jesus, growing closer to him and creating a world that glorifies your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.